Hello there, and welcome to the very first episode of Sequel Pitch. My name is Ross Harmston, and I will be your host this week. Joining me today is a man that is truly the fountain of knowledge. His name is Drew Toynbee. Hello! Next, we have one of the last remaining Vikings. His name is Matt Rushton. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> like a wrestler. Oh, that was nice. That was this is how Matt gets up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, uh, the second he wakes up. Ah, it's <laughs> the morning. Let's get the coffee on. <laughs> and last, but no means least, is the madcap genius that is Andy Henry. Hello, people. Hello. Hello there, indeed. Hello. Now, what is sequel pitch? I hear you ask. Every week, our host, that's me, chooses uh, a movie for us to watch. Then we discuss and dissect what we thought and give it a score out of five. The host then listens to three potential film sequels for that movie and picks the best one. The winner then becomes the new host and picks the movie for the next week. Simple, really. But before we dive into this week's movie, I know our listeners would love to get to know us a little bit better. So, Drew, why don't you tell everyone how we met? So, it's a fairly standard... I don't know if it's a fairly standard story for people who start podcasts. I imagine it is, frankly. We all went (laughs) to university together uh, from 2008 through to 2011. Um, Wait. Yeah, that is right. Um, We all... Memory. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we all, while, we all but, yeah. yeah it felt like it lasted 10 years we all studied <laughs> acting um we all still do it some of us in a more amateur capacity some of us in a more professional capacity um but we all bonded over a, a shared love of movies and games in particular and when 2020 and lockdown hit and we all decided to start playing um, grand theft auto online again and uh, despite being objectively horrible to play uh, we reconnected our friendship it was all incredibly heartwarming and then in september we came up with what we actually thought was quite a good idea for a podcast because we were all drunk mm-hmm. and here we are <laughs> and the rest is history a lot of the best um, ideas start out drunk so uh, yeah and the best ideas stem from gta that's what uh, <laughs> we are now sponsored by gta uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thanks, Drew. Uh, now that the listeners know a little bit about how we met, I think they should learn a little bit about ourselves. So I'm going to go first. Why not? Um, my name is Ross. This feels like a weird AA meeting. Strange. Um, I'm an all-round geek. I love video games, wrestling. Yeah, that's why I said to Matt about the wrestling thing. Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> uh, I like that as well. And I'm a member of the Danger Club podcast, an actual play Pathfinder show. So, yeah, that's me. Uh, so what about you, Andy? Um, I am still trying to be do the acting thing. I'm trying to write some stuff. I'm trying to film some stuff myself. Um, yeah, just trying to keep it going. Trying to keep the spirit alive. Got a boring nine to five in the meantime, just to pay the bills. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of my time is just dedicated to writing, locked in my room, in a corner, <laughs> by myself. <laughs> and Andy, and Andy will never tell you what he films. He's a man of mystery. He's just he just films whatever he wants. Well, I'm afraid if I give the idea away too early, people oh, will yeah, think it's shit true. and then not yeah, watch it. True. So I'm like, if well, just watch it and you'll find out. And then people's like, ah, I just wasted my time, but. 
<laughs> watch this space. Uh, Matt, go on. I am also actor, nerd, general viber of anything and everything, really. Um, very much living the video game wrestling D&D lifestyle that Ross also lives. Probably the only reason we're still friends. No, I jest. Perhaps by the end of this podcast. (laughs) Depending on how this podcast plays out. No, um, yeah, very much lover of all the good things in life. You could find me on Twitch, Mr. Viking XL, if we're all there to plug each other too. Make sure you jump on and join us in that. Very nice. And Drew, last but not least. I'm I'm kind of more on Andy's wavelength. I'm a I'm a nine to five, or I work as a university administrator. I am also very into films and games and D and D. Not wrestling though. I think it's weird stuff for babies. <laughs> no, it's for grown Shut men up. and women. Lol. It's not for babies. Um, and I'm a husband and a dad, and and I'm doing that horrible thing that no parent should ever do, but being like, now that I'm a dad. I'm seeing things in a whole new light, and but it's really true. And I suspect my catchphrase for some time on this podcast will be speaking as a newish dad. Um, so we'll look forward to hearing that insufferable bullshit. Uh, good. Well, um, now Drew has made an enemy of thousands of wrestling fans. So. Uh, uh, that's going to be exciting. No, no, I like wrestling. I like I liked wrestling a lot when I was ten. <laughs> um, okay, now that everyone knows a little bit about us, uh, let's discuss our first movie. This week, you are pitching a sequel for the 1986 cult classic Labyrinth, directed by Jim Henson, starring David Bowie and a young Jennifer Connelly. Now. In case any listeners haven't had a chance to watch the film before listening, um, we always do a 60-second synopsis, in which the host has to summarise the movie in 60 seconds or less. So, let's go. Labyrinth begins in a park with an owl watching over a young girl named Sarah from a branch. As she struggles to remember the lines from her play, the clock chimes seven and she realises she's late to babysit her brother. As Sarah Sarah babysits her brother Toby, she becomes frustrated from his constant crying. She wishes the goblins to take her brother away. Jareth, the goblin king, steals Toby and takes him far away to his castle in the middle of a labyrinth. He gives Sarah 13 hours to rescue her brother and solve the labyrinth or the child is lost forever. Along the way, she meets Hoggle the Dwarf, Ludo the Beast and Sir Didymus, a Muppet fox who rides on the back of a dog like a stallion. (laughs) Sarah uh, and and her newfound friends make their way to the castle, meeting lots of weird and wonderful characters along the way. And after a fight with some goblins, Sarah is ready to face Jareth. As Jareth tries to convince Sarah to abandon her quest, she begins reciting the monologue from the beginning of the movie. Finally, she remembers the last line, You have no power over me. With this and those amazing words, she defeats the mighty gobly... <laughs> the mighty... <laughs> mighty? She defeats the mighty goblin king and she and her baby brother are safely returned home. Boom. The Might and Gobbly Goblin. Mo- oh, man. I've got to change my pitch to <laughs> keep the Might and Goblin. I mean, I was, that was over a minute, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, just too lazy to do it again. Vague, it's a vague 60-second summary. <laughs> so, 
after seeing that, I've got a few questions to throw out to you guys. Firstly, uh, to Drew, and then we'll open up for discussion. What did you think of the story and the way it was written? I admire how quickly it just gets on with it. Um, yeah. it, it is, it's very much like it's got all the trappings of a fairy tale. It feels like someone turned around, like George Lucas and Jim Henson and a few other people were just like, hey, let's just invent a new fairy tale. So we did. And how was the best way to start? Should we explain it? No, it just happens. <laughs> the goblins yeah. are always listening. And it's, <laughs> and it just rockets straight in, straight into the bizarre fuckery and weirdness, straight into <laughs> David Bowie looking like a cross between Dumbledore and Tina Turner. <laughs> with, with in, incidentally, with his uh with his tight package in his little tight leggings. Oh um, yeah. Oh yeah. Opposite that's... opposite fourteen year old Jennifer, Jennifer Connolly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um that's, his package that's... nearly had the second billing it was so big. Like <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's it yeah, it, it rockets along at a pace and story wise it is it does exactly what it says on the tin. I can't fault it there. I have other issues but yeah. I um I agree. It does literally set it up in about five minutes of the film, doesn't it? And then weirdly, it just literally cuts to the goblins watching her in the in the mirror yeah. straight away without any introduction. There's literally just like a bit, and they're just like, "Ooh, what are they gonna do? <laughs> are they under That's her bed or something, or just like creepily no, no, staring I, no, from the closet? Just like I, <laughs> she's fourteen, so remember? They like, shouldn't be staring at her. I think they're in like it's just they're in an alternate dimension. I I, I, I think it is just through. they're they're always listening. That's crazy. Which yeah. is weird. Yeah. Bold. Uh, Matt, it didn't do very well when it came out. Um it only grossed about twelve point five million dollars when it came out and it had a budget I think of twenty five, so it didn't make its money back during the box office. And a lot of criticism say it was because of the darkness of the film. Like it was very dark. Uh, for a Jim Henson film. Do you mm. agree with that statement? Yes. Yeah. In that, yeah, it's just terrifying, considering it was a U-rated film. I think this is one of the important things to highlight. This film was rated universally acceptable for people of any age. <laughs> um, certainly, watching it for the first time as a 31-year-old male, I found it a bit dark in places. Or first-time watch from Matt. Yeah, this oh, was wow. a first-time watch for me. Um, well, this is probably my second or third. I, I I never had it. I never watched it growing up. So yeah, I was I was surprised by a lot of what I saw. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah I'd say it was. It was a film that very much tapped into some uh, varying degrees of. Uh, don't know where I'm going with this. A film that was a lot <laughs> darker than I'd anticipated. I personally find puppetry quite scary anyway, so tap back to Jurassic Park and yeah. the nightmares that the Velociraptors gave me. So anything that has this puppet oh, vibe that's, about that's it. Fa- famously puppet-like <laughs> Velociraptors. <Yeah. laughs> they were great, though. We digress. Yeah. So anything like that, kind of more than VFX, tends to create a more sinister feel for me, and yeah, I just feel like some of the themes were quite dark that they tapped into as well. Yeah, um, there's definitely a whole thing about child innocence, which in 2020, it's a bit, when you look at it back, you're like, mm, this is a bit uh, 
this is a bit on the nose. This is this could edge towards it being very very inappropriate or weird. Do you know mm. what I mean? When you're looking mm. at it in 2020 eyes, that's going to be a a thing I think for the podcast and just in general when you when you watch films nowadays, you you look at them with 2020 eyes. A lot of Disney early uh, early Disney films, oh, yeah, uh, you awful. look at it with 2020 eyes now, and you go, mm, "That's Ooh, yes. not cool." <laughs> yeah, um, the whole of the Friends just... TV series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you think of the performances, Andy? Like, uh, in particular, David Bowie. Um, did you know that actually the Michael Jackson and Mick Jagger were some of the people that were going to be? Really, I can see. Yeah, yeah I can see. Playing. I can see them two playing it. I can see Michael Jackson doing a, a far, like an okay job at it. My, Mick Jagger yeah. would be great to see him just kind yeah. of swagger on and just be like, "Yeah, I'm the Goblin yeah. King, bitches, what's up?" <laughs> Yeah, but what do you think of Bowie's performance in it? Oh, he yeah. I mean, I liked it in 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 general, but it's it's he's so fucking weird yeah. the whole time. <laughs> like, it's a choice. Yeah. And Drew, when we were talking about this film off air, you didn't realize like Bowie spoke like that. You know, because you hear you hear people doing impressions of Bowie, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. that's not surely how he speaks all the time. And then you're like, oh no, no. But it's I I think I think that I yeah I the the, the main impression that I always think of is Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords, um, and to a lesser extent as Tamatoa in Moana as well as the giant crab, yeah. like doing doing David Bowie. And I think it's it's like their pack. I'm sure that he didn't actually speak like this in his everyday real life, <laughs> but my God, like it could just be Jermaine Clement doing ADR for this role. <laughs> it's like. I've I've come to take the baby. <laughs> mm. It's it's so wild. It's yeah. such a wild performance, and it's it's wonderful. It's so off the wall and creepy, and I'm sure that was the point. And he was an inspired choice, but it is just it's it's buck wild. I got a bit of a problem with Jennifer Connelly. Um, what did you? Didn't think that she was, I just didn't think she was that good. <laughs> Sometimes she sold it for me. Other times she was like in the beginning she was a bit overly dramatic. Um, that's probably more to do with the script and everything, but as there, there are, are just... there are a, a couple of slightly wooden yeah. line readings. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, like yeah. she's she's in a room, just surrounded by fucking horrifying looking <laughs> yeah. puppets. I yeah, she shouldn't have to putting... act. Then she should just be like, "Holy shit, what the fuck!" Yeah, but she's meant to be friends. Oh, with I guess these she is. Hideous yeah, yeah. beasts. Oh, Hoggle, you're you're my best friend and not horrifying in any way. <laughs> haven't haven't got a man uh, hand stuck in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> the puppets. There's two bits in this film I love, and it's when um uh it, the, the, it, I think it's just after the magic dance, magic man dance song thing, and he's he's uh, Bowie's throwing the kid in the air, yeah, and it's it cuts from a shot from oh an obvious baby uh, to a it, long shot where it's just a wood, yeah, yeah, like a wooden yeah. doll, have, have, and then falls back in his hand, and it's the baby again. I well, love no, no, but it's happens. worse because he throws him like forty feet in the <laughs> yeah. air, and then he, he just stay, fucks the baby's off to stage too, left, like, have, and then right. the baby's dro- and again like speaking as a newish dad, I. <laughs> Freaked the fuck out when that happened. I was like, "Oh my Jesus, no!" Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, well, on the subject of the baby, I do also want to give credit to the actor that played one-year-old Toby. I feel like of all the performances, that was the most real, the most. I, honest. I, don't, I definitely bought. I don't think he should get credit. 
Because originally the baby was meant to be named Freddy, but the little fucker refused to act unless he was referred to by his own name. <laughs> method. Inconsiderate what? little method acting. Diva. What's wrong with method acting? Yeah. What a studied it. <laughs> I like the baby. Um, the baby was crying a lot. And I quite, yeah. I, after a while, I felt quite bad because I felt like it was real cry. It was really crying. Yeah. So, yeah. Honest performance. Um, ten out of ten. I, at least well, he's again, that good of an actor. Looking, looking, at, looking at the trivia, it said that actually he loved being around the puppets because he was the son of he like Jim Henson's grandson, yeah. wasn't he? And so he was used to being around puppets and he loved all the puppets. So they just had to keep him awake until he was so knackered. He just wouldn't stop crying. And then they shot those scenes because actually he was like super happy. Um, That's interesting. So uh, I'll we'll wrap it up in a minute. I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on sort of the puppetry. Now that you're talking about the puppets, what you thought about the puppetry Um Interestingly, you know the owl in the beginning of the movie, that was one of the first computer-generated animals in film history. Um, and you can tell, obviously. Yeah, like it. But um, <laughs> it, You can it, tell. It, I mean, it's interesting, though. What did you think of the puppetry, uh, Matt? As I say, someone who has been terrified by puppets for a long time in life, I found them suitably hideous, horrific, and charming in their own individual rights but did did you not think that for a film um uh in the, in 1986 that they got a lot of um uh, how do you say it? it got a lot of emotions from you got a lot of emotions and feelings from the from the puppets i thought they were done um and humor as yeah. well um like the the scene with the two door knocker things um mm. and or the little worm yeah and worm. and the and that yeah. crazy buckwild scene with those weird pink furry things that throw their heads around each <laughs> and do stuff like goodness gracious um, with the really really bad that like, was creepy eight, mid 80s green screen yeah. compositing in the background yeah, yeah. but um the song was also yeah very uh stressful yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i think i'd loved and it was something Drew and I kind of mentioned talking off air that what I what I enjoyed and I managed to really appreciate the film and the puppetry work and all the detail and creativity that went into it when I stopped watching this film making notes when I just put my pen and paper down and I just sat to watch the film to enjoy it for what it was and you do they are very warm characters one thing that I will give this movie credit for is that the two let's call them human actors yeah. in the film are not actually the characters that you're warm to. It is the puppets. And there's a lot of yeah. work clearly been done on, you know, the casting and the creativity and the effects and the puppetry, the puppeteering work that brings them to life. You sit there and you watch them and by the end of it, you are buying into Hoggle and Ludo and Cohen. I, I really did enjoy it, and whilst I joke that puppets terrify me, these puppets didn't, and it was a really, really good, warm family film that just has a lot of dark themes running through it. Well, this this leads us perfectly into uh, Matt. What would you give it out of mm. five? I would give it three and a half stars out of five, or whatever we're scoring it by. Three and a half puppets out of five. 
<laughs> Personally, I'd have given it four, but on a reference to would it be, you know, if we're using this as a way to score for the modern audience, I'll give it three and a half because I do think that not every person who is thinking of watching this with their family will find it a family-friendly film. Okay. Andy, what did you, what would you give it out of five? I would give it uh, three Bowie Bulgers out of five, I think. Um <laughs> I, I say I didn't have the nostalgic connection uh, and love uh, uh, from watching it as a kid, so I came into it, yeah, very dry. Um, and it was fine. I say it's 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 one that I don't know. I think you could. It's probably ready for a remake. Yeah. Right now. Well, interestingly, um, yeah, there's a there are there is a sequel in the pipeline apparently. Oh, because I've heard there's always been rumours. Mm, yeah. For like, like years and stuff, it's always just been rumours. But no, I mean, it's a, it's a good film. I, I don't know if it's as dark as Matt was saying it. Maybe... I think it's dark for 1986, is what I was giving it. I, I know what you mean, Andy. It's not thematically super dark. It's, mm. For me, it's like the the art design and the character design. It's, it's grotesque. Yeah. In a mm. way that, like, it's basically like they've taken... The Muppets, which are normally made of felt, but then covered them with real skin, yeah. and it's horrible. <laughs> Giving some boils and some bubbles. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, like it. It's and it takes it from oh, look at that friendly little thing to Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a recommendation for me. If you haven't seen it, definitely watch it. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just mental. Like it does, it gets it gets straight into it within like five minutes. Yeah. Um, and you're. Yeah, strap in. You can't leave halfway through because you're, you're. If you leave halfway through, you're just gonna be like, I'm gonna have to know how this ends. But like the end scene yeah. when they're all partying on the bed is is so random and great. Yeah, but um, yeah, it was alright. I, I I did enjoy it. Overall. Strap in to see Bowie's bulge. Um, oh god, very nice. Uh, Drew Toynbee, what did you think? I it it is a well deserved cult classic. It's a masterclass of like pup of puppetry and art design and casting choices um for for me on a personal level um like the 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 character designs of the puppets and things was actually a a touch too unnerving and unsettling (laughs) for me as an adult i remember watching this as a kid and being like "Oh, oh this is yeah this is cool this is just a crazy film and and now i'm just repulsed yeah. by particularly hoggle like well voiced but hoggle's fucking horrifying to look yeah. at um but there's there is so much to love it's really inventive it's it's bloody memorable you're not going to forget this movie once you've seen it ludo is is fabulous sir didymus riding on the back of ambrosius a, a freaking english sheep dog sheep dog is just wonderful yeah but it's also i still i found it quite hard to watch at the same time so i'm um, i'm actually exactly the same as matt i'm going 3.5 um plasticky cgi owls out of 5 <laughs> it is a recommendation for so so many reasons but it definitely won't be for everyone very nice and my opinion is i think that it's I I loved it. I loved the fancy uh, element to it. I love the sets. I love the characters in it. I think it's Buckwild, which is what I want um, from a movie about puppets and uh, a labyrinth starring David Bowie's bulge. 
So I will give it a four out of five. Uh, I would recommend this movie. It's a cult classic. So, um, yeah, go and watch it. So there you have it. We reviewed Labyrinth. And we, on average, are going to give it a 3.5 Bowie Bulges out of five. (laughs) So go see it. And now, it's the time that you've all been waiting for. It's time to get your sequels pitched. In this section, you all have three minutes to pitch me your sequels. I will then ask you questions about each of your pitches, and then I'm going to throw it over to you and ask you why I should pick your pitch over everyone else's and let you fight it out to tell me why I should pick yours as the winner. Simple. So, going first is Drew Toynbee. I am going to start your timer now. Thank you very much. Uh, My pitch is just called Labyrinth 2. It opens with text on the screen. The labyrinth exists outside of the bounds of our world, far from our perception. It's fluid and changing, taking form when it can tease shapes from the mind of a child that is open enough to let it in. And then we see Los Angeles, 2005. There are two six-year-old girls playing in a park. They're sisters. They're twin sisters. We see their make-believe world as the climbing frame turns into a a gothic castle and a fountain turns into a a stormy sea. And we see them fighting make-believe goblins with their toys, a, a frog in a top hat and a squirrel who's running around and members of their army fighting these goblins. They're trying to get to a treasure. And at the last second... Thea pushes over her sister Rian so that she can grab the ring. Rian turns and says the line from the beginning of the first film, I wish that the goblins would come and take you away right now. She looks up and Thea's gone. And in her place is the new Goblin King, played by another musical maverick actor genius, Donald Glover. Um, he's there, he be- he says he's taken Thea away, Rian can save her if she comes now, but Rian's too scared, she doesn't go, and when she looks back up, they're gone. Fifteen years later, she's having therapy because it's messed her up, because she blames herself, she doesn't believe it was real, but she believes that if she hadn't been so lost in fantasy, she would have saved her sister. Um, but one day, living her grey, boring life, she has to go back past the park, and she has a flash of remembrance of playing there as a child and sees it in the fantasy way she did. And all of a sudden, the portal to the labyrinth opens and she's allowed in and she goes in to save her sister. It becomes a race against time through the labyrinth and they're being pursued by a sort of horrible forces. She's joined by the toys from her childhood who are helping her fight through the labyrinth and get through all the puzzles which are all about embracing whimsical and silliness and becoming more childlike eventually she makes it to the end of the labyrinth and faces off against the goblin king but realizes that the shadowy force that's been chasing her is her sister um, they fight but Rian refuses to fight against Thea and eventually pulls out the ring that she's kept on her for these 15 years and hands it over um, Thea stops turns back into herself and they all fight the Goblin King, bringing all of their armies to bear and all of the goblins to fight against him, defeating him and freeing the goblins forever. Thea, however, decides that she has to stay in the Labyrinth Land because she needs to make it a better place for all the people who have made it her home and tried to keep her safe. There would be nothing in the real world for her now. However, we see as time goes on that 
Rian and Thea can still meet any time that Rian goes to the park and remembers her childhood and connecting with childhood joy and whimsy allows her to see her sister as her life goes on. Very good. You were only four seconds over three minutes, so that was very good. Um, well done. I've got a few questions for you. Mm-hmm. Could you explain to me what you envisage the uh, the the monstrous uh, version of the sister to look like? Um, Is it like some oh. sort of amorphous like skin? monster no it's yeah decidedly not skin monsters <laughs> like i i i know i i want to honor the heritage of the first film i would want to get the jim henson company back in um to do puppet designs but for the the sort of wraith like sister i'm picturing um effectively basically a dementor but for the, the more esoteric reference is murgo's wet nurse who is a boss in the video game bloodborne okay um so go go ahead and look that up because that's <laughs> if if you need some sort of existential or Lovecraftian horror in your life, or you could say it's like uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol. There's a, a kind of like a Grim Reaper type. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, that'd be um, cool. But yeah, okay. Um, do you think that the ending is going to be a bit anticlimactic in terms of? Uh, the sister staying in Labyrinth. I'll admit, the initially the main consideration as to why she stayed was because I couldn't, I couldn't work out logically how you like. Does she come out and she's still twelve? Because how do you explain that to everyone? Does she come out and she's now an adult? Because how do you explain where she's been and how does she integrate into society when she's had no proper schooling or anything else? And it it ultimately the the original film thematically is about sarah having to embrace responsibility and accept responsibility yeah and i i and to grow up and i wanted the sequel to be about making sure that you stay connected to innocence and childhood and remembering those important things yeah and so it felt like once i realized i couldn't work out how to bring the sister back to the real world <laughs> Um, it felt like a good opportunity to have it be a bittersweet ending that that also reinforces the idea that staying childlike and going back to the park and connecting with her childhood is an important way of staying connected with things that you care about as you grow older. Very nice. And um, do you think that Donald Glover has a? Uh, do you envisage him having a a big part in this film? Because when you're explaining it, there doesn't seem to be many. Uh, bits with Donald Glover. Uh, obviously, it's mostly focusing on going through the labyrinth. Yeah, I am. Um, I would be. Uh, uh, this is obviously assuming that he agrees to sign on when we send him <laughs> the script. Um, I would be hoping that he would produce original music, and it would work basically the same way that David Bowie did. In that, it would cut back to him, and we'd have a crazy wild musical number where he's dancing around with a bunch of crazy muppets. <laughs> doing some of his amazing music basically of him doing songs of don't let them get to me oh no they're coming towards me no but i'm gonna stop them oh no they're coming for me etc etc but much better than that okay and last question do you think that this will be a bit too scary for children i i mean well look at the 
original one is <laughs> absolutely horrifying and that's a you yeah that's true um i think like i watched pixar's soul the other night like obviously yes scary and adult concepts are two slightly different things but kids can either deal with much more complex things than maybe we think they can or it just goes well over their heads yeah and they won't really notice anyway i i wouldn't want it to be visually too horrifying or or too intense in in terms of i i think i using like bbfc classification i would want it to have elements of mild peril i wouldn't want it to be like oh my god if if the wraith catches us it's gonna slice us into pieces and and disembowel <laughs> us it would just be sort of it, a, a bit oh what that's the other way to look at it from um fantastic beasts the um what's it? the obscurial oh okay um from fantastic beasts like it's just this sort of powerful force but it never actually gets close enough to be properly scared okay thank you drew for your pitch now up next is matt rushton uh your time starts now here is your honest labyrinth sequel it is 35 years later and we see our original cast returning. Jennifer Connelly is back as Sarah. She is now a very successful dancer. Her brother, however, played by Jared Leto, is not having such a good time of it. He is haunted by nightmares of an owl man that are starting to get closer and closer to a point where he hears something for the first time. If I cannot have you, I will take your son. Cut then to a lifestyle where he is in his trailer. He is he lives in a trailer, by the way, with his two children. One daughter, one son. His daughter, Madison, is walking home from school. She is a loner. She is an outcast. She is rather drably dressed. But she is walking with a book in her hand. This is a little orange book called The Labyrinth. For those of you that have seen the first film, you'll remember this book. It is exactly the same one. However... In within that book, there is a little comment from her aunt about the... La oh, wait, it reads, Dearest Madison, dance your days away and dream. Oh, my love, Aunt Sarah. They're clearly connected and very close family. Essentially, what happens, the uh, Jareth, who is now played by Idris Elba, swoops in, steals away Madison's brother uh, because he couldn't have Toby... And transports them to a world. Madison manages to cling on and is transported to the labyrinth alongside them. She has to go on an adventure similar to her aunt through the labyrinth with some very familiar faces in the likes of Hoggle the Dwarf, who is very much suffering from PTSD and uh, the, the cruel torment of Jareth. So he's a very changed dwarf, a very miserable dwarf but is starting to find the sparks of love and friendship within him again. She also, Madison, comes across a goblin that has also been disowned and shunned by society named Muddison, where there is clearly a lot of a psychoanalysis between the two as they learn to better understand themselves through their friendship with each other. We see Ludo and Likes come back. We see a Building of tension as there is clearly another challenge that has been set by Jareth. They come together en masse at the end, face off. However, this time rather than the weird stairs dance routine, 
they have a riddles challenge and in the end Jareth wins however the compassion shown by Madison to support Madison reminds him just what family is all about Madison it turns out was his favorite goblin before that she got shunned and it brings back a whole lot of love and the two families part together at the end ah oh, very nice um first question why did you choose to recast, obviously, I know the obvious reason um, for Jareth. Um, why did you choose to recast it to uh, Idris Elba rather than have, you know, CGI or um, have David Bowie in it again? I chose to recast it, and I do apologise that I didn't tell you my casting for Madison was, in fact, Billie Eilish. So we're going for a very 2020 vibe, a more urban vibe. So therefore, recasting Jareth as Idris Elba, um, a gentleman that I think really captures 2020 um, alongside a musical performer that also very much epitomises 2020 music. It's about, you know, this is a dream world. It's, a, it's an imaginary world in some ways. Um, so... Essentially, it could be whoever you wanted it to be. And for me, I respect and think that everything Idris Elba touches turns to gold. So why would I not seize on an opportunity to uh, to make my movie a great success with this wonderful, wonderful actor? Uh, just Drew was shaking his head then. Uh, do you want to respond to that? No, I'm just going to save that up for later. <laughs> Very nice. Uh Okay, uh, what sort of journeys do you envisage? I don't know Hoggle to be going on. You say he's very got he's got PTSD now. What more? What more of a journey can he have in the second film? Um, Hoggle actually goes on his own journey of finding oneself and doing the right thing, even if people tell you you shouldn't. He is clearly traumatized. He went back, and Jareth was very mean to him after the whole Sarah saga. So he he's become bitter, he's become twisted, but upon mention of Sarah again, and Madison referring to her as her aunt, it floods him full of regret and repressed emotion, and he essentially, he's helping in the background the whole time. He never, uh, he never necessarily throws himself into the forefront of helping Madison yeah. and co., but he's also just, he's interfering just enough that they don't know he's there, but he's starting to find that compassion again, that friendship. Um, and I feel like there could be a great moment of tension where, you know, perhaps he sacrifices himself for Madison and co, where they're, they're at a point of doom and there is no escape. And that's the point where he steps up and throws himself to save them from the bog or something, and, you know, you could even have some quite tragic tension there, if you so chose. Or he could be saved by Ludo in the very next scene. Who knows? Very nice. There's no mention of any songs. Will you have any songs in it? There will be a fantastic soundtrack by Billie Eilish throughout an undercurrent. Uh, it will feed different songs, will feed different tension levels and different moods. There will not be a musical interlude halfway through my film. So no Idris Elba dancing in 
tight tights with his package show. <laughs> he wouldn't be in tight tights anyway. I feel like, oh. you know, there is the air that the 2020 urban vibe means that he could be wearing whatever he wanted and best represented the character, not tight tights. <laughs> and no, my answer is Idris Elba will not be standing and singing, dancing, rapping, anything like that. This is a movie, not a musical. <laughs> How dare you? David Bowie, that, that wasn't even a costume. He just bore that in. He was like, will this do? <laughs> um, that was him off the street. Yeah. yeah. Showed up to audition. They're like, oh, you came in, in, in costume. He's like, no, I... D- uh, uh, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> so, and last question. Do you worry that it's very similar in terms of uh, captured baby um, storyline. Uh, quite the opposite. That was a very, very intentional decision by myself mm-hmm. to open up that dialogue for those fans of the original Labyrinth. They will get to watch this with their children and with their families and be able to really relate between, considering there's 35 years gap between these two movies, I think it actually sparks and opens up a conversation and a dialogue with these families about how similar they were, and bringing back all the same characters for that reason. It's, yeah, for me, I feel like it's more of a homage to it by having a very similar storyline than by bringing twins into it. Thank you, Matt Rushton your pitch thank you and now last but not least again is andy henry your time starts now okay so we open up on a young girl getting yelled at by her parents the school is called and she's been caught cheating at a test as punishment the young girl can't go to her friend's party and she has to stay in and babysit her younger brother Later that night, the young girl hears a tap at her window. She opens it and sees a goblin appear. He, he explains he's from a far-off world and he helps people when they're in trouble. The young girl complains about her brother and the goblin says he'll be willing to take the brother off her hands for her forever. The young girl is hesitant at first, but the goblin explains that he'll take her brother to a fantasy island where he can play all day and stay up all night. The girl agrees and the goblin clicks his fingers. Suddenly, the goblin's shadow from underneath his feet separates from his body and flies into the house. It returns holding the sleeping brother and the shadow brother and goblin goblin fly away. As the young girl is trying to sleep later that night, she hears another tap at her window. When she opens it, a small fairy frantically flies in and tells the young girl she has made a grave mistake giving her brother to the goblin. She says everything the goblin told her was a lie. He goes around the world stealing young boys from their home and taking them back to his island as he can use magic on them to transform them into parts of the island that are dying, keeping it alive forever. The fairy takes the young girl to the goblin's island to save her brother. When they get there, the goblin says if she wants a chance at saving her brother, she must first make her way through the jungle and meet him at his lair. What follows is a jungle maze filled with optical illusions, tricks and riddles that the young girl and the fairy must solve to navigate their way through. These tasks cause her to look at life differently, questioning her choices up until now. After capturing the shadow, they confront the goblin. As the fairy distracts the goblin, the young girl and brother reconcile, and together they beat the goblin and fly back to their own world. We end with a scene where the young girl is up before her parents, having already eaten breakfast and ready for the school bus, showing she's changed. And the title is called Pan's Labyrinth. That's no, not. It's not. It's just called Labyrinth Two. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, first question: Ugh. Will you film this live on set 
in an actual jungle or will this be reproduced inside or will it be CGI? No, the only thing that CGI I can imagine would be the the shadow. It will be filmed on the set um, because the uh, all the puppets would obviously be the goblin. It'd be the fairy. As the young girl was making her way through the jungle, the she'd be talking to the trees and the animals and stuff, and there will be puppets. Yeah, yeah. The act, the the actors, the young girl. Uh, I'm thinking of is um, Daphne Keane, the girl, the young girl from Logan. Okay. Uh, the younger brother can be a, an unknown, doesn't matter. The the voice of the goblin is Hugh Jackman, and the voice of the fairy is Zendaya. Um, and there is a song, and it's either a song sung by the fairy to the young girl when she thinks all oh, hope is lost and she's never going to get her brother back, or it'll be a song when they first get into the jungle and you know she sees all the jungles alive and the animals are alive and stuff, and it's a it's a happy way. Very nice. What happens to Pam uh, at the end of the movie? Because all you've mentioned is he gets distracted. Does he die? Well, he could if because I think with with a film like Labyrinth, there's not a there's nothing from the narrative that leads on to a natural sequel. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you could you could retell this film, or it could be a sequel, and you could do it loads of times as long as you have a, like a labyrinth in there. Um, then you don't need a sequel, so we don't have to kill the goblin at the end we can if you want but the idea is he needs to keep the his island is what keeps him alive okay so every time he's he's dying he needs a boy to replace it so they uh, the the fairy could start to like destroy the island a little bit like set fire to it or magic explosions or something do you think the themes that you are portraying in the film will be quite quite on the nose in 2020 the whole child catching um storyline not as much as someone someone else's but i mean we've all kind of got a bit of child capturing and stuff and it happens in the first one and mine's not done by a person and i kind of i specifically made that happen it's done by a cgi you know monster so mm-hmm. i don't know i think in, in t- it's not a, you know it's not a, a, an adult nicking a, a kid it, do- it doesn't have that um eeriness to it as much are you going to have any returning characters from the original film Yeah, I think I think that would be a few. I think cameos because um, it's it is a new story and stuff. But I still want like the magic of labyrinth mm-hmm. is there. So then maybe they meet um um what was it? H- H- Hoggle yep. Hoggle, um, but that's it. Maybe maybe that's it. So the the setting is different, but the characters in the world are all uh, are the same. Kind of, yeah, like, they can, they can, they can, they can, they, they can kind of like travel from place to place. He's not on holiday or anything, but um, Matt cannot wait. He's just, um, to, uh, answer yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which, but I mean, say because his his la- the labyrinth that he was in the first one, he might have taken a left turn and ended up in this one. Yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's what I Like it's all these labyrinths kind of connect. The, the stories might not, but um, the mazes do. Okay, I've heard your pitches, so now we are going to uh, discuss, uh, and you are going to tell me why I should pick yours. Let's go with Matt first. Why should I pick yours over everyone else's? And then feel free, Drew and Andy, to butt in if you have any retort. You should pick mine because mine is actually an honest sequel. It pays respect and homage to the first one. It doesn't transport to a jungle and then, because you asked a question, bring in a load of the characters (laughs) back. 
It doesn't. One, one question for a quick cameo, not all of them. What are you talking about? You just said it's going to bring a load of a back. Like no, I said he's going to bring Hoggle because, back for because a cameo. So it is a cheap way to try and score a point because that maybe is what Ross is looking for. <laughs> I wrote no, that into Did you not listen to I what I said? I said I brought Hoggle pitch. back for a quick cameo and then that's Whoa. it. It's a new story. Yes, it's a cheap cheap payoff to the producer <laughs> the host who's just said will you bring him back so in order to give yourself credit, no but he's not in he's he not said like... yeah we'll bring some other back like who was he <laughs> that hoggle might turn up for a quick cameo because he turned left in the labyrinth that is that is bull crap i <laughs> yeah, but that... want you a very honest sequel ross and the twins one in a playground kind of has some little like nods and respect to it one of you brought Peter Pan into it. The other one, like the twins thing, whatever, that could probably work. Mine is a real, honest to God sequel. Okay. That's why you should pick mine. Any burning questions? It doesn't look like Andy or Drew want to uh, butt in. I mean, well, I yeah, I Matt was Matt was on a very passionate run there, but I I would yes the carrying on with the original characters is admirable and i think matt's found quite a good way to do that but it's just too similar to the first if, if yeah. you want if you want two generations to be able to connect over a, a film about a baby being stolen away to a labyrinth we've got that it's the first one it was made in 1986 <laughs> so that's we've got that why not have it move on and connect with modern society Because I bring modern society into my film because people will not... Most kids and younger generations don't even know who David Bowie is anymore, (laughs) let alone understand puppetry. They haven't seen a thing with puppets and unless they've put Thunderbirds on at two o'clock in the morning because they're still awake, you know, I am bringing a modern feel to something where we can appreciate Labyrinth as kids of the 80s and 90s. And people that know David Bowie and everything that he brought in Jim Henson movies. Kids today don't. This is why I have done a homage replicate of the first film. So that every generation has a universal dialogue and has an understanding of it. Plus it's also very different in some ways as well as I've pointed out. Well this leads me on to Drew. Mm. Drew why should I pick your movie over everyone else's? I I think that mine is taking the idea and the ethos of the first film but updating it without having to jump through hoops to tie it into the same family. And yes, maybe it's to do with my tendency to want to over-explain things, but I I feel like my way of getting around why Jareth is different is a little more elegant than maybe Matt's and a little more not batshit crazy than Andy's <laughs> um, and I think that updating it for a updating it for a modern audience is more than just adding up-to-date music it's about exploring different themes from the first film and identifying what those first themes were and maybe seeing where they went too far and how it might be important to come back the other way. Um, I also think that mine has the most powerful emotional core to it, frankly, but that's that's very much up for debate. It does, 
but I feel like it makes it a non-you film by having too much emotional trauma for those oh, poor just, twins to just have to live go, with. Go, go and watch Inside Out and come back and talk I mean, if about it, emotional trauma I for children. If we were talking about the first one being dark, this one's like super dark. It's an actual proper it's... like kidnapping and, and the family. The first one has proper kidnapping. What are you talking but so about? This one gets, like, there's two girls and one gets snatched from a park. Only in the same way that the baby is snatched from his crib in the first one. Jesus Christ. Also, I was saving this up from earlier matt everything idris elba touches turns to gold does it <laughs> have you seen cats yeah. have you seen what happens the last time that idris elba played a magical whimsical character it was disturbing <laughs> hey um I, I i reckon the numbers probably speak more than the film speaks for cats with well, a low number i'm sure it didn't what, yeah the really low numbers yeah. everyone everyone went to see it because it was so bad that's not a proviso Quite, to make a film. Yeah, different story. Yeah, hey, I th- yeah, I think I still if you defend, ask Tom I'm sure Hooper or any of better. the cast of that film, they would rather that it had been more better critically. I don't doubt that the head honchos at the studios were okay with everyone going to see it ironically, but I bet the creatives weren't. <laughs> yeah. Andy, why your film over everyone else's? Mine, mine is a. It's definitely the lightest it's not dark um it's it gets you right it gets you a little bit of a backstory enough to kind of like care about the characters but the main bit is the labyrinth that sticks you in there um it's based i mean like they say the the labyrinth is based on a fairy tale so mine is loosely based on another fairy tale um just a darker version of it so um and it will have more actual like riddles and then the first and uh, optical illusions and things that the kids will would like to be engaged with. Matt and Drew both had faces of uh, anger. If you could see this audio. Um, so we'll go with Matt first. Or your retort to Andy. I have two minor retorts. No, I have two major bloody retorts to Andy in this one. <laughs> it is not the lightest. It's one of the most scary. Because what you're going to have is a whole generation of kids scared of their own fucking shadow. All right? <laughs> That isn't light. That no, isn't light. I don't think that, that's true. They could be more scared about going to the park and getting like absolutely stolen. not. In, no, yeah, at least in mind, you specifically have to. Death you have that. to specifically <laughs> ask the goblins to take someone away. Yours, just someone comes and taps on the window and it's like, "Can I? Can my shadow go and have your kid?" <laughs> and someone, anyone in the world, can be like, "Yep, on you go." Yeah, because she, he, the goblin tricks the girl at the start. It's not That's much of a trick. Yeah, she said, he comes up and says, I'll, I'll fix a problem. You got a problem? She's like, yeah, my shadows. problem's a problem. So he's like, all right, yeah. I'll take it away. Yeah, so so yours is about a much more inherently real and scary thing, which is stranger danger, where mine is about asking imaginary <laughs> goblins to come and take someone away. Mine, mine might have a, a, a darker tone. The, the whole, oh, so the you whole admit it? The antithesis would be the lightest of the three. I'm not agreeing with that. No, I'm saying Bruce is so much more darker than mine. But if mine has a, a, a darker tone, then the, the the whole the actual film itself would would lighten it up. Where uh, Drew, the Drew's, the themes, uh, all end of the is, themes is of mine the girl... are about embracing childhood innocence, and then not like the, the, so the fist, the sister fights the sister. I've got in yours. Mm-hmm. But then the the first sister I can't remember the name. Sorry, uh, the first it's it's Rian and Thea named after Ariadne and Theseus. Which one That's... gets stolen? Is it Thea? 
Thea is taken because Theseus is the one who gets stuck in the labyrinth and Ariadne is the one who helps him get out. So why is the sister trying to attack the, uh, uh, the other one? Because she's been corrupted by the Goblin King. That's that's a fair question. I didn't actually ever explain that. Living there, she was taken, sort of turned by the Goblin King and turned bad. Oh, we're and just adding stuff to from... our pictures now, are we? Are we allowed to do that, are we? <laughs> well, you did. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> to, to be fair. <laughs> I have heard all of your pictures and all of your arguments and I'm now going to pick my winner. Andy, I like your labyrinth uh, idea in the jungle. I think it's interesting. Uh, I think that you, what you have there is... Uh, I like the concept of yours. Matt, I really like the nod back to the originals. I like the book that she's got in her hand, the old tattered book in her hand, and I like the fact that it carries on with the same family. Drew, I really like the the story that you've created and you've reimagined it with different people, um, with the two sisters. However, there can only be one winner. And this week's winner of Sequel Pitch Episode 1 is Drew Toynbee with a proviso. Hey. That's bullshit. Oh. With the darkest pitch in the world. The He's ending. gonna have every family crying on Sunday afternoons. With the ending needs to be changed slightly, so slightly. much, so much that it's similar to Jumanji, where they both come out of the board game and they're still young. Oh, I would. Oh, you I could have fine. easily have made that just magic. The way she comes back, hey, with magic. Hey, he's refusing. He's refusing to change his ending. He just sighed at the producer. <laughs> I, no, I feel yeah, like you I, should go look, with someone who will happily make changes should he need to. Look, the the producer bought now. the script. He can do whatever he wants. With I it. think it it's would. Fine. I think it would be a nicer ending if they were still the same age and they there there was a nice thing at the end where they both still went on an emotional journey, but they were able to. Ca- encapsulate their childhood still all right i think it undercut undercuts really the cool. character journey entirely but that's fine you do you <laughs> but well I'll done drew win. you have won <laughs> you have won this week's episode of sequel pitch the very first winner so drew is going to be our host next week and what film are we going to be pitching next week drew um i'm very excited to pick the 2018 Brad Payton directed Dwayne The Rock Johnson starring sci-fi action monster smasher that is Rampage available on UK Netflix right now a smash hit very good well thank you so much for listening you can find us on all the social medias Twitter, Instagram, Facebook we'd love to hear what ideas you have for Labyrinth 2 are they as crazy as ours? We really want this podcast to grow, so if you could head on down to iTunes and give us a review or just spread the word to your friends, that'd be great. So all the sequels have been pitched, so it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Drew. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye from Andy. Goodbye. Until next week. <laughs> <laughs>